Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. This is Cricket Lou. And this is Matt Larson. Together in the same place. For once. <laughs> Not the first time, but Not, nice when we can do it. Not the first time. I don't. Have we ever taped here in my office? I think we taped in your old office. Uh, okay, yeah. When you still had a window. When I had a window. I no longer have a window. In fact, in the new office, I won't have a window either. Because really? It, well, they're all internal. They're all completely interior offices. I'll be able to see out a window because I think that the sides of, at least one side of the office is glass. So. Yeah, that's nice. In, in Verisign's new building, or new to us building in, in Reston, it's eight floors. And the problem is some floors are like that with all interior offices and some mm-hmm. have some exterior offices. So depending on what floor you're on. And you? I do not have a window at the moment. Oh. Which has been. But a lot of people went to cubes. Uh huh. So I can't whine at all about that. <laughs> right. If you have a door, yeah. that, that's that's pretty good. Uh, the door actually, I think, is more important than the exterior window in most cases. Yes, and I have a I have a very expensive uh, one of those uh, full spectrum lights that you use to combat. <laughs> Oh yeah, seasonal affective disorder. I just I just happened to have one of those. That's that's another long story uh-huh. that I wasn't using at home, so I brought it in. So mm-hmm. I've got this massive. I've got my own son in my room. Basically. <laughs> it helps. So good. Well, it's been a while uh, since we we had our now quarterly podcast, yeah. right? But we have a question. We do. Uh, this... So we reach into the mailbag and get the question. Yes. The. the... The mailbag is... Uh, There's actually mail here. Close to empty. That's actually for Paul. Uh, but in our nearly empty mailbag, a guy named Donald Rudder asks, so are A6 records... Excuse me. So are A6 common records, and how many name servers support them? Mm-hmm. Will they become more widespread as ISPs roll out IPv6 to customer networks using provider address space? And then the uh, second part of that question is, what is the difference of impact on DNSSEC-enabled zones for quad A, that is AAAA, versus A6 records? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I, know, I know Donald, as a matter of fact. He works for a customer of ours. Um, there's a short answer to that, which is that ASIC, A6 records are not at all common. And in fact, um, I believe that the most recent versions of BIND removed most support for a6, and I think they even they moved the RFC to experimental, didn't they? Uh, historic. Historic. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking right now. Uh, yes, RFC 6563 from oh March of 2012. This is this is uh, this is recent. Yeah. Um, moves it to historic. Right. Right. So maybe we should talk briefly about. You know, for for our listeners who aren't uh, as conversant with ASICs records, what the differences were between uh, the ASICs record and the Quad A record. I think when documenting um, this in in the fifth edition of DNS and Bind, I said uh, everything everything old is new again because Quad A records were the original way that we mapped uh, domain names to IPv6 addresses. Right, and a Quad A record is is really straightforward. You know, an A record holds an entire IPv4 address. And a quad A record holds an entire IPv6 address. Exactly. And you'll note that an IPv6 address is four times as long, four times as many bits as an IPv4. And so those hilarious DNS engineers at the ITF decided <laughs> that if A was for 32 bits, then AAAA would do for 128. Right. So. And not A4 or 4A. Right. And you do pronounce it quad A. I've you, explained that to people. You don't say ah. Or, <laughs> yeah. I've never, I've never heard that, but... 
Right. So a, a6, however, is considerably more complicated. It will probably take two of us to explain this and get all the details right. Um, but the idea behind A6 was that you could, this was, so it was to support renumbering. And it, yes. was to, it was to support the idea that part of your V6 address would be provider assigned. Yep. So that, you know, let's say you had two connections to the internet. Uh, every device on your network would have two IPv6 addresses with one portion being allocated by you and the other portion being allocated by your upstream, by your ISP. So then the issue is you, you need to publish two addresses, but for mobility reasons and uh, what, what else was it besides mobility? I guess, well, there was a hierarchy of this as well, right? The, the, right. Because there right. was IPv6 addressing assignment, the way the way they intend for addresses to be assigned has changed over the years, right? Wasn't it initially going to be much more hierarchical than it wound up? It is still pretty hierarchical, right? I mean, the the leading bits, the most significant bits of your IPv6 address um, after the first three are almost certainly uh, an indication of which regional internet registry uh, that block was assigned from, and then after that, which local internet registry or which ISP within that RIR's territory. So it's still very hierarchical. And I think that with the A6 record, there was this recognition that, for example, you might change ISPs and you didn't want to go off and change you know, everything under the sun, right? You didn't want to change every A6 record or every uh, DNS resource record that you'd ever created that mapped domain names to IP addresses. And likewise, you might have a situation where the ISP changed some part of the prefix and they wouldn't want to have to call up their customers and say, hey, you have to change all your address records. Right. So, I mean, today in the IPv4 world, we have the idea of provider independent space where uh, an organization actually uh, owns that space, if you will, and it's, it's routable. They, they control its, its destiny. It's theirs. They can take it from ISP to ISP. Uh, but that's, I think, more the exception than the rule. A lot of people have address space that comes from their provider. So if they change providers in IPv4, if you change ISPs, you do have to renumber. And I think the idea in the V6 world was let's make all addresses more like provider independent um, in, in, in from a renumbering perspective. Uh, from a, yes, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Certainly the, the, the not same from a sorts routing perspective. of, yeah, yeah, there are still provider independent and provider aggregatable addresses in IPv6, but yes. Right, so, so you have this issue. Um, so we're kind of mixing two things here because there's, there's that whole renumbering aspect, but then there's the issue of um, if you're multi-homed, if you have multiple connections, you still have the issue I mentioned earlier, which is, you would have, let's say you have, as I was saying a moment ago, two connections to the internet. Uh, so some of your addresses would come from, some of, the, some of the portion of each address would come from your ISP and some from you, so that would mean that every device on your network would have two different addresses. Right. So how do you, how do you handle that in, in DNS? Do you publish two quad A records? That's what you'd do in V4. Well, A6 is a way to get around that in that with an A6 record, you basically publish only the portion of the address space that you control, mm -hmm. and then you publish a pointer to where somebody can find the rest of it. Right. So in this case, you'd publish two A6 records for the same name. Is it, is it two A6 records, or is it just a string that maps to, that, that at some point forks? You know, you might have sort of info blocks dot a bunch of, a bunch of uh, IPv6 uh, specification, and then when somebody tries to look up the portion of the... Uh, our data that says InfoBlocks, it actually maps to, you know, ISP A and ISP B, and those in turn map to two different prefixes. 
That's a good question. I know that because we just looked before we started recording. <laughs> because we didn't remember. <laughs> the format of an A6 record is basically uh, a prefix, some number of bits, and then a domain name. Right. And I think the intent is the domain name points to another A6 record. Yes. Right? Yes. So I think, therefore, if a given host in your network, I, th I think you need two A6 records in the case I'm describing. Yeah, that may be. It's all academic now, of It course. is. But the... But the most important point of, of this is that it turned looking up a name to get an address from something that was deterministic, namely, ultimately, you'd, you'd, you'd zero in on one, one or a, a set of A records. They'd either exist, and you'd have all the A records corresponding to your, uh, the IP addresses for the name, or they wouldn't exist, and you'd know. Right. Whereas with A6, it didn't work that way. Right, and you, you had to go through this sort of succession of resolutions, almost like following like lots of, of aliases, lots of CNAME chains, where you know you looked up one A6 record and that told you you know the first 12 bits or something, and or, or rather maybe the last 12 bits, and then a, a prefix. And then you went back to map that prefix and you grabbed another 20 bits. And you just kept doing that until you built up one or more entire 128-bit IPv6 addresses. And it took, it could, it could take a long time and a lot of resources to complete that resolution. Right. And if it were just a chain of, you know, A points to B points to C, and you eventually would collect 128 bits and you knew you were done, that would be one thing. But the problem is that you could fork at any step. At any step, one could map to, say, three. And then at that next step, next level down, if you will, each of those three might map to one or might map to some more. And so you've got this, this right. expanding tree of lookups. And one, one real serious issue was how do you know when you're done? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was the Infoblox example I was talking about. If you run into, for example, uh, the, the Infoblox string in there, and then we have three different providers for our IPv6 space, then right. you've got to actually resolve that to three different prefixes and eventually to three IPv6 addresses. Right. So this was all deemed um, something that wasn't going to work very well. Yeah. There was, I don't, I was around, I was paying attention to IETF stuff when this was happening. I want to say this is like 2000, 2001. I know it's between the fourth edition of DNS and Bind and the fifth edition, because I had to document it in the fourth edition and I had to tear it out for the fifth edition. Okay. Do you, do you remember off the top of your head the time frames for those? Fifth edition is sadly... 2006. <laughs> Do you remember the fourth edition? I don't remember off the top of my head, which is somewhat shameful. Well, I remember an ITF meeting that I attended where in, and I want to say London in 2001, but don't, don't hold me to it. Uh, but anyway, there was a huge ballroom where the DNS extensions working group was meeting. And when we walked in, up on, projected on the screen was uh, quad A and an arrow pointing to the left an A6 and an arrow pointing to the right. Oh, so it's like bride side, groom side? Yes. So you had to, you had to choose with your seat which you were supporting, and the idea was we were going to not leave that room till we'd had, a, had our say and, and people were going to decide. So. But you could move? You could change sides? At I, I guess. I don't. I remember walking into the room and not having a strong opinion and not knowing where to sit. So could you just sit in the aisle? I, I don't know where I don't know what I did, but uh, I remember that if this was London, I saw My Fair Lady. Oh, on, on stage. On stage, Sonia was along, oh. and it was it was it was great. And the guy who's the guy who who did the Infinity commercials? Uh, oh, you mean actor? Jonathan Price? Yes, he was Doctor. I want to say Doctor Doolittle, but that's not right. Henry Higgins. Henry Higgins. Henry yeah. Higgins. Yes. yes. So was, just you wait, Henry Higgins, just you wait. It was great. And in fact, I remember the, uh, the, the program 
it had it had in typical British understatement. It said, "Please do not sing along to any of the songs, no matter how well you know the words." <laughs> that's funny. That's exactly the opposite. The one theater experience I've ever had in London was going and seeing uh, Spam a lot at the Palace Theater on the West End of London. And uh, I was so excited to be in London while Spamalot was in its run that I bought uh, a a great seat. I paid a lot of money to to, to buy a great seat. And it's a theater that's, it's an old-fashioned theater, uh, very narrow with with sort of high sides with lots of loges and things like that on Mm -hmm. on the sides, packed to the gills. And uh, they had, I forget what his name is, uh, Jim Dale or Alan Dale playing, playing Arthur. Uh, a good cast, not the original uh, Monty Python cast, but um, everyone sang along to every song, especially, especially Always Look on the Bright Side of Life at the very end. Really? And that was expected? It was expected, and it was... Encouraged, even? or I don't know that it was encouraged. Certainly nobody... Uh, nobody came around to, to, to shake a stick at you or anything like that if you if you were doing it. But it made made for a wonderful experience. Yeah. I mean, it was it was really kind of um, uh, chilling almost to have all of those people out there all singing the same thing uh, at the same time. Because of course, you know, among the sort of general public, maybe songs from Monty Python movies are not that well known. Uh, among the, uh, say, IT community, perhaps somewhat better known, and uh, certainly among that audience, everybody, everybody knew everything. So it was, a, it was a great show. Well, I have to say, this is something that we Lutherans know, because Lutherans love to sing. Mm-hmm. So a Lutheran is happiest in church with a bunch of other Lutherans <laughs> singing songs that all the Lutherans know. So... Um, so we answered Donald's question. Uh, uh, I think not the second half. Not the second. Uh, I've forgotten the second half, but I know that we haven't talked about reverse mapping. He didn't ask about reverse mapping. Technically, Should that's we... still used. Did they use a pointer record? I don't remember. Was it still a pointer record, just with that horrific bit string label? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So the bit string label that, that Cricket mentioned is. Yeah, I think you all of our listeners probably know in uh, IPv4 reverse mapping that uh, you can only divide on the octet boundary right right you know a dot b dot c dot d the four octets of an ip address and and, and that's it and with 128 bits in a v6 address the thinking was well we don't want to constrain ourselves again like that to have these arbitrary fixed boundaries what if we could just have um well the, the fixed boundaries wouldn't be arbitrary what, what if we could have arbitrary sized wherever we wherever we wanted depending on what right. the delegation was so maybe right. you'd have three bits uh, at one level and then mm-hmm. 14 bits at the next level and so on. And so these things called bit string labels and what RFC did I say they were? 2673? Does that sound right? It's off my screen already. Um, well, there was an RFC. There was an RFC. <laughs> and, and, it described them. And it, it described them, but the, the issue was it was a separate label type, a right. new label type. Right, right. And, and, you know, most name servers of the day had no idea what that, that label type was and couldn't decipher them at all. Really, there's only one label type in use now. Mm-hmm. It's the, the one that all labels are encoded in. What, is it 01? I, I think it is 01. There's a 2-bit... There's a 2-bit... 2-bit um, length. Length. Well, a 2-bit... Uh, Lab- label type. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so... And then now one of them... So of those four possibilities, one of them now points to EDNS. So you can have extended right. label, and this was right. an extended label type, I remember. Right. But the point is, it freaked out name servers that didn't know. So even the query, looking for a, a label, your recur- your local recursive might might 
might barf and say, I have, I have no idea what this is, surf fail. Right. So there's a huge deployment issue with that. Right. Surf fail or format error? Oh, form error. You're absolutely probably, right. It was probably, form, you're right. It was form error. I would, I would think. Uh, okay. So uh, the second part of his question was, what is the difference of impact on DNSSEC-enabled zones for quad A versus A6? And there, I think the the answer pretty much goes along with the additional the additional resources required to 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 resolve it. Right. Every step along the way, every intermediate A6 record that you that you encounter. Uh, would would still have to be signed right. and would still require some validation. So again, it's 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 very similar, I think, to dealing with like a very long chain of of CNAME records uh, and having to do the validation all the way through. If you're pointing into different zones and things like that, there there are potentially many many decryption operations and hashing operations that will be necessary to sort of uh, assemble the proof that the ultimate answer is actually valid. Yeah, ultimate answers. Yeah, exactly. Right. Ultimate yeah. answers. Sure. Right. So I think it's just as well moved to historic. Things are complicated enough with DNSSEC. Yeah. Yeah. And IPv6 and the current intersection of them, let alone, let alone A6. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that only took 17 minutes. So well, longer than than I thought it would take. Yeah. But <laughs> so because we're out of questions, we have to go to um, not answer a question for this next part, but. There's sort of some buzz in the DNS community. Yes. We thought we should address it. It's the, the first time in some time that something in particular has happened or will happen. It's about to happen, yes. So um, so D root, as in D as in delta root, is changing its IP address. On January 3rd, it's going to change from its current address, which is uh, in a block that's carved out of the slash 16 network that the University of Maryland owns is going to move to a slash 24 of, as we were talking about earlier, provider independent address space. Right. And we're talking specifically about its IPv4 address, right? I That's think its right. IPv6 address is remaining the same. As far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. Because that wouldn't, that wouldn't have this issue. It's already in. If it exists, all the root servers that have v6 addresses have them in dedicated blocks for, right. that, for that purpose. There's a particular kind of allocation you can get for critical infrastructure mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. And so this, uh, a after this happens, there will be only one uh, root server remaining th whose address space is not carved out like this into uh, private address space, and that's H, uh, H root in Aberdeen, the Army Research Lab. Right. Do you think that uh, the move to this address space is uh, maybe a precursor to making D anycast? Because D is, is somewhat unique in not using anycast, right? Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it if it is. Um, I mean, that's certainly what, what this would enable, and it's something that you really couldn't do w with the former uh, the former block. Because I remember hearing that there's other stuff on that. I, mm -hmm. I, I believe this is the case. Apologies to anyone at Maryland if I'm getting this wrong, but uh, that I don't think in the particular subnet that they're that they're um, using for DRoot. I think there's other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then right. the other issue is, is, and this goes into internet routing stuff that, that is not my specialty, but even if they did manage to clear off a, a certain chunk, I, I think like a, a cutout of a slash 16, even if it's of the appropriate size to be routable, is not as routable reliably mm -hmm. as a dedicated chunk of provider independent address space like this. So right. so, did I right. say it's a slash 24? A slash the, 24. New, the new space. Yeah. 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 And, so. and so one one question that I've heard from a number of people is, you know, uh, what do I need to do? What do I need to do if these uh, 
address changes. Do I need to change my root hints file? Do I need to time that to coincide with the change of the IP address, which is January 3rd, oh, yeah, I think you said? said that, January 3rd, yeah. Um, so, so what do we have to tell our listeners on that subject? Well, ultimately, it would be nice if you changed your root hints file, and you, and you should. Right. But there's no, there's no hurry to do so because of, uh, of priming. Right. Which is something that um, I think every recursive name server implementation that I'm aware of does. Yeah, and since is, the old, old, the, the dark ages of bind, right. bind has done it. And this is one of those things that you don't, I don't, this isn't written down, at least not in any RFC that I'm aware of. I would love to be corrected if, if, if it is, but it's just a, something that you just have to know if you're going to write a mm -hmm. recursive server. It is in the excellent DNS and bind. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about Priming? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a simple idea. Basically, um, you have a root hints file. Um, in fact, it's compiled in to, to most modern versions of bind, for example. And that that hints file contains the list of NS records for the root zone, as well as the associated uh, address records, A records, and I believe now uh, quad A records. Mm -hmm. So you really already have um, all the named IP address mapping for for all the root name servers, but the name server, when it starts up, it does not take that as gospel. Um, it takes into account the fact that that might be out of date. And so it chooses randomly one of the name servers in that list, and it fires off a query to that name server to say, hey, what is the current list of root name servers? And that answer um, actually overwrites. It doesn't overwrite the contents of, of the root hints file. Again, that's compiled in. But that's what the name server uses preferentially to, to the root hints. So um, as Assuming that the maintainers of the root zone change the uh, A record for d.root-servers.net when the name server's address actually changes, the next time your name server does one of these queries, it'll automatically pick up that new, uh, that new address. Right, the, and, and that's really why it's called the hints file in the first place. Yes. In that it's not used as the definitive list of root server names and IPs, but just a hint as to how to get them. The idea being, if you want to know a list of current root servers, who better to ask yeah. than an yeah. ostensible root server? You know, now that I think about it, that the behavior is actually described in uh, RFC 1034 or 1035. Oh, is it really? It's, and is referred to as a safety belt, not as root hints, but as a safety belt, I think. Oh, yeah, the whole S-belt thing. But I think that's, um, that's more comprehensive than just root hints, right? I think the safety belt sort of is... I think it doesn't assume just root servers. Right? Yeah, I think it could be any any name yeah. servers, name servers for any zone. But I think in, in, in particular, they, they they certainly applied it to, to the root name servers. Yeah, and I, I don't think any recursive servers use it in that manner, or they don't use the safety belt in the more uh, uh, what's the word more wide definition. Right. In the, the the broader the definition. broader thank yeah. you the broader definition yeah. yeah. So um, and and. So if you want to go get the root the root hints file, it's at um, uh, well I'm reading I'm actually reading off the announcement that um, one of the uh, administrators at UMD sent a guy named uh, Jason. Jeez, I don't I, I I've met Jason. I don't know that I remember how to say his last name. Jason Castingay, Castingway. Totally butchering that. Probably sorry, Jason. So he sent this. He sent an announcement to many different um, operations lists. I, probably anyone who 
knows to find this podcast and listen to it is probably <laughs> subscribed to a list where this has been where this has been announced but or, or for, for that matter they're probably already aware of the upcoming change they've and... turned off the podcast <laughs> no one is listening anymore but um there's a, so, so there's sort of a little piece of internet history embedded here that the, still to this day the definitive location to get the canonical version of the root hints file is at www.internic.net wow slash domain slash namedy.root or if you prefer namedy.cache and it's even got a bind specific name doesn't it namedy as in namedy. oh namedy.root namedy.cache yeah well i don't know that that's bind specific it's not like Name it's compiled D? oh yeah i'm sorry namedy yes. yes yeah yes well yeah yeah this is the name of the the name server executable, yep. Yeah, so the Internet Project is a piece of ancient Internet history from, like, literally 1993. Mm -hmm. The Internet Project is how Network Solutions got into the business of running .com and .net and .org and, and a root and, right. and VeriSign to this day uh, still has the, uh, the successor to the Internet Project, the same cooperative agreement you and I were talking just about this earlier today. It's been amended many, many times, but... Um, yeah, so that's where you would go get the uh, hints file if you were updating it yourself. But I think nowadays it's just going to happen for you. That's right. That's right. Another one, one of our SEs actually asked, he said, do I need to restart the name server in order to make that query happen? And I believe you don't have to because, you know, that, that answer that you get back from the root name server to the priming query, that's also called a system query, um, the, name, the name servers in that list that you get back, have th those records have TTLs on them. And eventually, those records too will will expire from your cache, and then you'll look them up again. So, you you know. Yeah, I guess I don't ever think of running a name server long enough that that would ever happen. <laughs> usually, there's something that requires it being killed and restarted. But uh, yeah, so either that or um, so you you know you you get if the next time you upgrade uh, name servers, you know nowadays as you pointed out in bind anyway, and I think in other. Uh, implementations as well. It's it's compiled in right. whatever the current list at the time was, or or I should say and slash or uh, you know whatever you're using, whatever update mechanism from your uh, OS vendor is probably supplying a new actual file on right. disk. So if you go looking for it and you've done a you know a yum update or a whatever, why you'd see an updated root hints file. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So so there's actually you know. Very little that you really need to do as uh, the administrator of a name server in order to, to deal with the, the change. But, you know, if you were being particularly conscientious, you could change your root hints file uh, after, the, after the third. Um. Yes, and, and I bet it would be interesting to know there are probably a lot of root hints files out there. <laughs> well, not, no, it's not, not probably. There certainly are a lot of root hints files out there that are very, very old. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know one of the reasons for that is that... Um, you know, we in the DNS infrastructure community probably did a disservice to a whole generation of DNS administrators because there was a big, long gap where no root server uh, IPs changed. Yeah. And I happen to remember because I was in involved. Uh, so in August of 1997, there was some change. I don't remember what it was. But mm. for a long time, yeah. the date on the hints file when you'd go get it said August of 97. <laughs> and it wasn't until five years later, I believe it was November 6th, 2002, um, VeriSign renumbered JRoot. Mm -hmm. And we actually moved it. It was in the same slash 24 as ARoot. Oh, right. And we wanted to anycast it, so we, we moved it. So that was so there was that five-year period where there was there were no changes. Right. So people got out of habit. Right. And since then, LRoot has changed. Uh, B as in Bravo Root has changed. 
for sure those two. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, do, it doesn't happen frequently, but it does, it does happen. Right, right. So if we make it past December 21st, <laughs> then there will be that change on January 3rd. So I haven't been paying enough attention to this whole Mayan apocalypse thing that I thought it was 12-12-12, I guess. Oh, no. And there was no hype on 12-12 other than the, oh, it's 12-12-12 hype. Right. And I thought, why aren't people talking about why the world hasn't ended? And, and then I heard a few days later that it's yes. because it isn't the 12th, that's the 21st. Right. That's actually my anniversary, the 21st. So I'm banking on, <laughs> I'm banking on the apocalypse. Do you actually, have a card? Do you because, have a gift? Well, I don't have to, right? Oh, all right. Because I can just claim, well, well I... How would I? How, how could I have known that uh, we would actually be here and not, you know, heralding the the coming of the apocalypse and the well, riding of the four horsemen and all of this? Well, if it doesn't happen, why don't you let me know how that plan worked out for you? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be showing up on your doorstep with a rolled up sleeping bag. <laughs> actually, the last laugh will be on us if the world does end. Yes, exactly. We just need to get this podcast episode published before then, so there's some small group of people that do hear it. That's right. The good news is that there won't be much editing to do because we're both here in the same room. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, I think uh, I think despite thinking we didn't have a whole lot to say, we've said a lot, so we should probably wind it up. We nattered on for 29 minutes so far. Yeah. So thanks for listening to our podcast, even though it seems to come out less frequently than we, than we would like. Maybe, maybe we can change that. Uh, but in order to do the podcast, we do have to have questions. So please do send us questions to uh, Mr. DNS, that's MRDNS, at ask-MrDNS.com. So until next time, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.